0: Open loops, do, open, open, loop. open loops, open loops, open loops. Open loops. Open Loops. You must listen to The Open Loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open Loops. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that bend a late-night talk show for your unconscious mind. That's right. This is an experiential podcast, the goal of which is to stimulate your brain. How do we do it? Well, my name is Greg Bornstein. I'm a transformational entertainer and cultural hypnotist, and I want to challenge your existing belief systems by sharing with you and bringing on Guests with radically unique ideas. Ideas that will cause you to force your brain to expand a little bit and ultimately stimulate your mind in a way that forces you to step into the highest version of yourself. Yes, it's all possible. It's like a theme park for your intellect and imagination. We call it looping because what's an open loop? It's an unconscious provocation. Thus, you are now here to have your brain provoked and to have your world expand. Today's guest, Bruce Williams, does that quite well. I quite enjoyed this conversation with Bruce. Why? Well, because it went all over the place. Bruce is in the coaching I suppose you could say facilitating, workshop-leading, corporate space, working with uh, people on their communication, as well as leadership skills, bringing people together. And while on the surface, yes, that sounds as if it's eh, perhaps, you know, a little mainstream, right? A little too mainstream for this show. It's not because the truth the vulnerability the the empathy that is required to develop these human skills bruce really dives deep into that and he is honest in a way that well i've i've not even had some guests on the show be honest before i i didn't know where the conversation was going to go I didn't know that there would be a, a story about uh, fathers and, and racism and strippers involved. I mean, we go all over the map here. And at the end of it, I feel that you're left with a message of meaning that will make you feel as if you can go into any profession and still do something worthwhile for the good of yourself and the good of humanity big testament however bruce williams delivered i really enjoyed the conversation feel free to share this podcast with anybody looking for some inspiration and make sure you subscribe on apple podcast and leave a review leave a rating just so we can keep getting these types of dialogues out there without further ado here he is the founder of easy teams Bruce Williams. Bruce Williams is here on open loops. He works with business leaders, CEOs. Uh, he, he is well, his day job is this kind of corporate consulting stuff. But today on this program, bruce williams has joined me to explore the next stage in his life perhaps uh this this book concept he told me about the the universe in my sandwich and i i'm curious to explore your your journey from being a recovering academic to an aspiring beach bum i mean you you've got a lot of facets bruce so we're gonna go down these different rabbit holes chase the loops first off thank you so much for coming on the show
1: uh, Greg, it's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Yeah, a big fan of your work. I love the conversation you had. They're, they're just so, you know, Open Loops is such a fabulous name for, for the, the podcast. Just because I, I love your curiosity and the questions you ask. I think uh, the quality of our life is determined by the kinds of questions we ask and and good questions make for a great life. So yeah, really happy to be here. Thank
0: you. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that uh, I'm sort of, (laughs) I I know that your journey, you've had a lot of uh, downtrodden times, times when you were broke, times when you were struggling. And then I'm sort of curious about well, I, I suppose I could go there, but I I feel like you d- did those podcasts. The podcast that people listen to typically with someone that is doing your day job is the, I was down on my luck. I could not figure out how to actually make something of myself. And now I talk to corporate consultants about the interpersonal skills that you need to survive in work, but in your life. I don't want to do that podcast because I want to know where you're at in terms of you're now moving towards personal coaching and just interested in transitioning to new areas. First off, how's the corporate world been? And second, why are you going in a more, I don't know, human the human personal direction rather than zoning in on where the money is?
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, money comes and goes, it's a way of keeping track of some things, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a medium of exchange. Um, I guess I've always been interested in helping people maximize the enjoyment of their own life, which could be to develop their potential or to find something that really lights them up on the inside. I think everyone deserves to, to love what they do and do what they love. Um, you know, whether, whether that's being a CEO of a multi-million dollar company or, or you know, making the, the best chocolate muffins in the tri-state area, it, it doesn't right. matter. Well, but what lights you up in the inside you know this is that is that dance is it art is it writing is it is it public speaking or whatever it is it could be you know making leather utility belts for for people that like leathery utility belts but if you're the if that's your craft and your art and you want to give your heart to it then why shouldn't you be able to um, so I'm not attached to to money and things that's come and gone lots of times like you said uh, how's the corporate world I, I think it's struggling and and certainly this year like you know, Wow. Yeah. Um, huge challenges for so many people. And uh, I think that's a part of the shift for me is in this year, my own business, you know, virtually 90% of it disappeared overnight. Um, right. A lot of, you know, public speaking, um, face-to-face workshops, that sort of thing. So how do you you go, okay, um, I, uh, you know, and you can kind of handle that if it's your own fault, but when it's not, you go, hey, I did it. I didn't do this. How come it's happening to me? Yeah. Uh, So then you have to question, all right, well, what am I doing this for? Who am I doing this for? Who do I want to be in this space? And, um, you know, whatever we're attached to, if we think our joy, our selfhood, our being comes from those things, whether that's family or work or our spirituality or whatever, uh, if those things are external to us, then they can come and go and then then we're open to those those fluctuations of oh, who am I, you know. The, I don't think there is such thing as work life balance. It's all this life. The balance has to be on the inside, regardless of what. We're doing. Yeah,
0: I mean, do you think you would have come to it anyways? Because this is what I have encountered, and now you, you brought something up to me, or at least you sparked a line of thinking in my thought about the way that we've heard people responding to this pandemic. And that is, hey, I worked this corporate job and things were really nice and I had everything going for me. And now that I couldn't do the things that they told me working in a nice, cushy job were going to give me, I'm now forced to be with myself and reevaluate and decide what's truer to the things I want to do. And now when I'm hearing it from your angle, huh, you lost business. But how sad would it have been if you didn't lose business, but everybody else did, and you lost the chance for that awakening moment? Do you think you would have had a shot? Say you didn't lose the business, but you saw everybody else around you. Would you have come to that moment of, I need to start exploring other stuff too? Or do we have to rely on circumstance? What is your what is your spiritual understanding of that?
1: Uh, uh, that, that is such a great question. I, I think there is something within us, this sense of calling and destiny that we all carry. Right? It's 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 a blueprint that's there, and we become dissatisfied whether we're successful or unsuccessful. That that sense of oh, there's there's something else. Uh, what is that thing that keeps coming up? And you know, I mean, you you see people that. Hugely successful in 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 the usual kind of status sense of, of money and wealth and income and and you know all, all the toys and yet they reach this point of, of deep dissatisfaction in that space again because the life balance isn't internalized yet. Hmm. So I think we're constantly searching for that and the external fluctuations, the ups and downs, they're clues. We get feedback from that, but I think there's still that internal feedback that's happening. We our own thinking is giving us feedback, our own emotional responses to things are giving us feedback, our psyche um, and then our, our social connections and then life itself, you know, shit happens. Um, all of these things are just feedback and then how do I react to that? Again, is telling me where does that align with what I really believe about myself and who I am. I think if you've ever read the book by, um, I think it's M. Scott Peck, The Road Less Travelled, he um, he. He talks about two really fascinating kind of origin myths um, in Greek mythology. The, the gods all get together, and so when a soul is about to be born, uh, the soul speaks with the fates, and they they have a conversation about you know okay this is what you're going to do with your life, and this is how it's all going to be mapped out, and where you live, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, what you do, skills, talents, abilities, and weaknesses and strengths. It's all decided. And great, I've got the blueprint for my life. Then the soul crosses the, the planes of forgetfulness hmm. and forgets everything and is born. And so it's born with this sense of, I'm here to do something. <laughs> and I know, you know, so it's this kind of um, not predestination, but a predilection towards certain things. And so our life is bent towards trying to find those things. Um in, in Jewish mythology, there's a similar story where the soul meets with God and has the same conversation, the same outcome, and then an angel comes and um, and touches them just below the nose here, right, which is why we have that little that little groove under our nose, right? That's where yeah, the angel touched us. Yeah, I
0: wonder what that. Um,
1: is. And we forget, and so again, the soul is born forgetting that conversation, but aware that there's some there's something here I'm meant to be doing, which is why then we do this. Hmm, why am I here? You know, yeah. So I think that why am I here question comes up. Um, the, those are the two fundamental questions, right? It's uh, often attributed to Mark Twain, the two most important days of your life, the day you're born, the day you find out why. It wasn't Twain that said it. It was actually a woman that wrote a, a, a book for, uh, for other women, uh, about mastering their lives and and she said these the two most important days of our lives the day we're born the day we find out why and what is that why that why is to make a contribution so the fundamental questions there are who am i and why am i here and so that's what we're tr- constantly trying to answer that's the open loop for all of us right is yeah. who am i and why am i here and and so COVID gives us a, a beautiful space to explore those questions because the normal distractions are not available to us. Um, and, and we can sink into, you know, binge-watching Netflix or, or alcohol or, or, or binge eating, you know, whatever. we we'll begin to consume to try and get away from those questions because they're uncomfortable. Yes. But if we explore yeah. them, you know, what, what's out there, what's, what's in there?
0: Yeah, I, this is raising the, the big philosophical question I have is that when you're a corporate, if you die a corporate coach or consultant, yeah, are you, are you dying happy? Well, well, some of them are because that's the space
1: they want to play, right? Um, and they're very good at it. Uh, but I mean, look at someone like Brene Brown. She's working with people in that space, but she's bringing the humanness that lacks in that space back into that space, right? Yeah. The the, the idea of vulnerability and leadership and being truly authentic about what we're thinking and feeling, but in a compassionate way that's still directed towards creating some kind of corporate success, and that's okay, we need those sorts of organizations. They employ a lot of people. They create. They do a lot of good. They do some harm, but they also do some good. You know?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I guess society is always based on forming some sort of, even you know, as as primitive as you go, uh, or I guess uh, going back historic, these groups of people that gathered together came up with systems. What is a yeah. corporation beyond just a high level version of those systems? So they're if you're the organizer of those systems, whether it's prehistorically or now you have an important role. And if you just happens to be the caveman that comes in and, you know, teaches you how to, I don't know, hold a fish over a fire without needing to beat the other person in the head with a stick. That's a good role. Like that's a corporate, that's kind of what you're doing at a very reductionist level.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that if you look at our evolutionary transition from just the survival mentality and it you know every person for themselves and um, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the base level it was you know food shelter sex for reproduction and clothing um, those those basic needs but then above that become then we have. Uh, beyond survival, then we go to security, where now I have certain things that I want to make sure I keep these things, you know. And so for us, contemporary life, it's, you know, it's, it's a house, it's a car, it's a job. That, so now I'm not, I'm not just surviving, but I I have some level of security. Um, but that's, it's still on me-centred. Then we go above that. The next level of need then is social connection, and there's an evolutionary purpose for that because if we are part of a tribe, we all survive better. We all have greater security. So there's a reason for that social connection to develop. And, uh, but then within the tribe, we recognize certain people have different skills. And so the next level of need is for my skill set to be recognized and valued in the tribe. And so now I have social status. But even here, this is still a little bit me-centered and then at the top of Maslow's hierarchy, we had self-actualization, but this is this has gone beyond just about me and me belonging and being part of a tribe and recognized as part of a tribe. This is where now my life is actually meaningful. So this is still that me center, but it's meaningful because I'm contributing, because I am part of this tribe. And we start to go, you know what, this is a really cool place to be, to, to, as Victor Frankl talked about, the question is not what is the meaning of life, but... What is meaningful for my life? How do I make my life meaningful? You know, and again, if that means making leather belts or muffins or or coaching corporate CEOs, whatever that is that lights you up on the inside and and gives you a sense of purpose and meaning, then that's cool. Go ahead with that. See, this
0: Um. makes me just feel like I'm hacking the pyramid. (laughs) I I have deep conversations with people, but I don't know how to make coffee, right? (laughs) I'm like, okay, this guy, I've got some stuff on the steps, I need to climb this ladder, learn the basic steps, because I just jump right to the top. But that said, sure. It's functional. I guess for me, it's interesting that I speak right to those needs, or at least I want to speak right to the self-actualization place. And it's often why in my corporate experience, I've talked about it on this show a lot, what is looping? Looping to me is the ability to go from working on a spreadsheet to quickly bringing in a a Joseph Campbell reference and then going back to the worksheet and fusing Uh it together intellectually just to give my life, just to give it light and color and joy. Sometimes I feel like, uh, I mean, some big corporations kind of trick you into feeling they're giving you all these other resources, but really making sure that you're hitting the numbers. Uh, Have you ever really met a spiritual corporation? what's your experience with that
1: uh, yeah yes ish um, i guess if, if we're talking about businesses that have a corporate soul uh, yeah. where they where you know where they are actually they genuinely care about the people that work for them and with them and they genuinely care about their their clients and their customers well-being not just about making the next dollar but so I don't think it's it's irreconcilable to put bring those two things together to to provide a service that that people value to pay money for. Um, and, but that service is is adding quality to people's lives, right? you know, um, and whether, whether that's creating a, a beautiful culinary dish for someone to enjoy at a, at a really high priced restaurant or, or whether that's. Uh, you know, making a very basic meal for a soup kitchen somewhere that's, that's supporting uh, the homeless. It, they're, they're both the same thing. They're, they're bringing value to people's lives. And that's, I come back to, you know, who am I? That's a big question, but why am I here? Uh, that purpose question, I think, is very simple. It's, it's three words. People get so hung up on what's my purpose. Our purpose is to make a contribution.
0: Make a contribution. I love that. That's really great.
1: Right why am i here to make a contribution um that means i am serving my tribe and i'm benefiting from that so that's it's that it's that feedback loop of i'm contributing but the tribe is contributing to me and so there's that mutual reciprocal engagement reciprocal transfer of energy which could be money it could be love it could be hugs it could be food right it's all energy um that, that can be done in a corporate space. I, I have worked with some businesses like that and I have worked with others where it's just about making the dollars. Yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate that now I, I know how to pick those people. I don't like to work with those people, so I don't, you know. I'm, I'm in that fortunate space of doing what I love in ways that I enjoy uh, with people that I like, you know. so yeah. and, and I think there's more people moving in that direction, so that's it's, it's a slow tide, but it's going to come in.
0: Yeah. And I I was going to say, you know, I mean, as much as you were looking into other sorts of work, I want to dig in. To some of the stuff that you talk about, because what hooked to me, what really got me intrigued, Bruce, was I was reading on your about page at. Uh, I know you're not pushing this, but if you want to know a little bit about where Bruce comes from, easyteams.com, easyteams.com.au. You were talking about. I love this. I I love that you're about teaching others what makes people tick which uh-huh. yeah understanding how other people tick we work together with less stress more yes all stuff that i, I am mean, intellectually engaged in, in terms of studying persuasion and, and hypnosis and uh, yeah, subconscious yeah. communication, all that stuff that I love. That's just juicy, interesting, fascinating. But then I see you've got the assessment tools and we've got Myers-Briggs, emotional intelligence, values, like a values assessment, all these different things. I mean, look, you have all the assessment tools on your page. They're disk profiles. They're, they're all the things. I mean, when you have so many of them, do they ever conflict with each other? How do you feel like all these various assessments go together and form a complete picture for you?
1: Uh, I, I got to tell you, they're a Trojan horse, right? I, I, I actually, if people come to me and say, yeah, hey, you know, we want to do some MBTI with, with our teams and do some uh, personality profiles my goal is to talk them out of it
0: <laughs> really <laughs> that's bad. so you have all these tests but you like hope that they don't actually end up doing them
1: yeah my preference is not to because uh <laughs> i love that <laughs> this is great um, why <laughs> you know why i love it because no survey can tell you who you are right all, all surveys are wrong they're useful in some ways but they're all wrong because um, in, in some respect, right? Because you can do the same survey on different days and get different results. If you're tired, if you're not well, yeah. if, you're on, if you're on holidays, if you're at home, if you're in the workspace, your mindset will shift and you'll respond in different ways because of the information that's sitting in front of you. Um, the other thing I do find, and particularly in the corporate space, is these assessments are used. They're done and everyone says, great, that's it. I know what I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a high D on the disc, you know, or or I'm I'm, I'm an ENTJ, you know, in Myers-Briggs or whatever. And so now this becomes used either as a weapon or as an excuse. Mm -mm. So now now we can blame people for their behavior because that's your personality type. I get it. You can't help it. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or or deal with it, buddy. You know, I'm just a high D. Right. So, (laughs) so that, how is that helpful to anyone? Right. I, I would rather what I do is try and talk people out of that and say, but well, let's, let's look at human behavior from a different perspective because all these profiles actually do is tell us what we're thinking in that point in time, right? That we, we spoke a little earlier about this, the, the infinite now. Yes. Um, the, each one of these profiles is kind of like a dashboard on your car. Depending where you're driving, how fast you're driving, how much fuel's in the tank, where you're going, that dashboard is going to give you a certain reading. But if you just, if you said, okay, this is me, it's just a snapshot of that moment of your journey. And that's, that's what these profiles are, right? They give you a snapshot. But we know, psychologically, we, we, you know, there's an arc in our life journey where we, where our personality changes, it adjusts. Um, we, we're still, our core self is still the same, but our our behaviors adjust and change depending on our our social context, our relationships, our experiences, whether we go through trauma or not. Um, These things have an impact of how we begin to behave. So how can we label that as a personality type? Um, So I'm interested in exploring human behavior, and I often talk about the patterns in human behavior that are very easy to recognize, and that's how we can... Right, so... uh, you know, you, you can have a conversation with someone. People are always telling us who they are. If we just pay attention, we just listen, right? You, you, you're great at this. You listen to people. You ask them questions. You're drawing out who is this person, what are they like, what are they interested in. Um, if, if we just did that in, in normal conversation, right, you just listen to some people and, and they'll tell you who they are, what they're interested in, what, what where their value set lies, Um you listen to people, how, how people say hello, right? You look, like your corporate CEO yeah. is you know, walking through the office. What's he say? Morning, afternoon, evening. Why? It's a statement of fact, right? Yeah. I understand I need to make a social greeting here. This is called upon. This is a very logical, fact-based thinker. And, and so the way they greet people is this is the time of day, morning, evening, right? Yes, yes. It, So this person, they love logic and they love facts and that's how they're going to operate. And if you want to persuade this person, you need to come with evidence and details to persuade this person because they're a logic-based person. Someone else comes into the office and says, hi, how are you? Good morning. So good to see you. How's your day going, right? Different vibe, different energy. What are they telling you? I'm a people person. I'm much more interested in relationships and empathy and connection as the first point. Let's connect first and then let's have a conversation about work.
0: Right. Um,
1: so this person, I don't need to convince them with evidence. I, if I want to persuade them, I need to persuade them, tapping into those things that they value, which is around cooperation, collaboration, relationship, harmony. Right? So even you can take any kind of conversation. People are telling us who they are all the time if we pay attention. That's what I'll, I'm more interested in teaching people.
0: Yeah. How do we do yeah.
1: that on a daily basis and make it part of our understanding of human nature so we stop labeling other people which then you know we get pissed off at them or, or labeling ourselves then we get pissed off at ourselves so that's stressful right so everyone love everyone wants to be loved and appreciated for who they are not who they should be so if we can eliminate those shoulds if we can stop shooting on ourselves and right. shooting on right. other people right life gets a lot easier it gets a lot a lot less complicated and and we can connect and communicate more effectively
0: Do you imagine you're going to carry that with your work outside of the corporate space, your interest in persuasion and powerful communication? You know, I, I think these are very good, great tools for making an office function and even, well, in interpersonal relationships, stuff like that with a loved one or stuff like that. But how important is that kind of training of people in a way, or just getting people familiar with what's in front of them going to be important as you're expanding what you do beyond just in an office?
1: Uh, you know, that that's life. Um, was it Malcolm Gladwell or um, might have been Daniel Pink? Yeah, selling is human, right? We're, we're always in that that process of trying to get for ourselves some kind of advantage by connecting with people. We, we're all trying to get away from pain and towards pleasure. It's, it's human nature. And so we're trying to find the things that we find pleasurable, and enjoyable, and, and that can be in our, our love life, our personal relationships, our long-term relationships, family. That can be in the spiritual sphere as well, right? How, how do we understand spirituality? We, we you know, i I have this theory that we, we are made in the image of the gods that we make. And so oh. depending on what kind of god we, we imagine, we now create ourselves in that image, right? So if, if we have a very small, mean-minded god, we become very small, mean-minded people. Uh, I think that's part, part of the problem with a lot of the religions is their presentation of spirituality is something very narrow. We see conflict coming out of that. Um, so, yeah, the, yeah, will I carry these ideas forward? Yeah, absolutely, because it's a, it comes back to that fundamental question, who am I, why am I here? Uh, if we can be at peace with who we are as an individual, we're less, we're less prone to wanting to try and defend that space, right? It's just, okay, I, I, I'm okay. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly imperfect. I'm flawlessly flawed. Uh, you know, we, we're all a, a work in progress in some way, shape, or form. Um, moving towards some better representation of who I really feel I am. And we're exploring that in relationships, in careers, in, in intellectual pursuits and in spiritual pursuits, maybe in, in the way we, you know, work out and, and how we do that, you know. Um, our social connections, it's, it's all a part of life. They're all just manifestations of us being human. I think that's that's the thing, you know. I'm, I'm 61 I actually started life. I didn't mention this to you, but I, I, my first career was actually as a church minister, which I did oh. for 17, 17 years, and um, until I burnt out. And uh, that that was my first occasion of of going well, who am I and why am I here? You know, there's not much market for ex ministers, and so
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I uh, th- that's when I went to university, and I thought, wow, this is. Uh, I, I love this intellectual space. It's very similar to what I've been doing in the sense that you had lectures and tutorials and study, and um, so I was used to that idea of a, a big meeting once a week, and then smaller meetings with little groups <laughs> yeah. and talk about ideas, um, and then study and trying to work out what things mean. And so I moved into that space and became an academic. Um, I did it for a long time, uh, but then that became constraining, and so I moved into what I do now. Um, in in the corporate space but but in each of those iterations of my life it's been about trying to find ways to understand who we are while we're here and then help people feel more comfortable with that you know whether that's from a spiritual perspective an intellectual perspective or or now trying to bring both of those things into um, a business space and and whether it's a corporate or you know a a group of um, local dentist practices who are trying to Figure out how to how to be better at that, you know, and help people with the dental hygiene or physiotherapists. Or you know, I work with some really fascinating people.
0: Yeah, who's the most? What? Oh, I want to know. Like, who's who's the uh, wackiest you've? Uh, how oh, weird does wow. it get? How weird does it get?
1: How weird does it get? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think everybody's pretty weird, you know. Uh,
0: is That's there a profession? The I never thought in my time. I was a minister and I did not think I'd be working at this adult video convention. <laughs> something like that, something out there that... <laughs> um, I, I
1: did for a period of time. Um, yeah, I was, I was doing some business coaching with an exotic dancer. And, and so her space was working in um, strip clubs and, and working with exotic dancers and strippers um, and in that very adult space, but but they're facing the same issues that that corporate leaders are, right? Anxieties about how do people perceive me, and am I good enough in this space? Comparing yeah. myself to other people, and it's the same human issue no matter where I go. Um, at the other end of the scale, like I love working with lawyers because they're just so in their head, and so you know it's all about this, these kind of legal and academic precedents, and, and they're, they're just up here all the time and yet they're struggling with all the stuff that's, you know, down here in their chest, in their heart space. Mm. And they're, they're trying to avoid that. Uh, are you really speaking going. to
0: that with lawyers? How does that go? Oh, and by the way, we're we're going to get back to exotic dancers. Don't think you're off the hook with that. <laughs> but no, no, but 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 I mean, are you speaking to that with lawyers? I really feel like some lawyers, at least in the United States, and this is why I am always I need to go to Australia or the UK where they're <laughs> exploring these psychological things and spiritual things. How are you talking to a lawyer about heart space? That to me feels like it is difficult. Uh y- yeah, I'm going
1: to say it's challenging. You know, I, d- I did a workshop recently with uh, a group of about fifty lawyers, um, but they're a fascinating bunch because they, because they aren't ahead. They just ask the really tough questions that really put you on the spot. But we were talking about emotional intelligence and why the stresses that they are experiencing in the workplace are because of their humanness, and so bringing that to their attention and reminding them that. Um, you know, the anxieties that they're feeling are, are important feedback that, they, that if they don't listen to, it's going to begin to be detrimental for them and impact on their business. So the, the in is like you want your business to be successful. Well, hey, you got to recognize how human you are in this space.
0: That is so good. That's so good because that is one. Uh, some of that I studied. I'm dr- dropping a big name here. Kenrick Cleveland, who is a persuasion, uh, persuasion NLP guy in the U.S., he talks about really kind of using values and criteria as a way of getting the sale and what you're speaking to is exactly that okay what is going to make their heart light up when you speak to them which is business money bottom line and then his whole thing but his whole thing is like you're redefining what the criteria means so you're still using the same words and the same things that light them up but you are a skilled coach a skilled persuader is Readjusting the definition of it while still hitting that word. So it still like lights them up, but it's also, oh yeah, I never thought about how having this conversation would 10x my income this month with another coworker, like being this human could actually do this. So that that's very, that's very skillful. Did you ever come in from this heart-centered place and people just shut you down? Did you experience that early on where (laughs) or did you really have to learn these skills to get that in? Like, what are some of your early encounters? Cause maybe you were just a natural empath and you could sense these people needed to hear that stuff. But I'm curious if you hit roadblocks and you're like, okay, it's not going to work when I show up like this.
1: Um, I, I, yeah. It, interesting question. I, I don't know that I am a natural empath. It, it, that's, that's the thing for me. I, I'm often uh, perceived at the other end of the scale.
0: Um, oh gosh. Yeah, yeah.
1: The,
0: the, this is what the is weird the other thing. End? Right? Psycho socio? Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Narcissistic sociopath, right? Um <laughs> people perceive uh, um, you that way. I don't think you are that, but people perceive you that <laughs> way. <laughs> but
1: and, and that's it, right, right? It's it's all perception. There's no such thing as reality. Everything is just perception. So what we're doing is about helping shift people's perceptions about what they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, but for me, you know, I was often described as having a heart of gold, um, as in cold, hard and yellow. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: because oh, wow. because I, have, I have four daughters and, and this is probably why I burnt out as a minister, because I didn't understand uh, to, the, to the degree that I do now. At least I certainly didn't understand the, the emotional impacts on people of certain decisions and ways of operating. Um, and I can see an answer and I say, well, you just got to do this. And it, uh, not understanding that they had sitting behind their inaction was was fear and anxiety and concern and worry. And, and if I don't speak to that, they're not going to take action. Uh, oh, and then because yeah. they don't take action, I'm going to judge them for not taking action. So it just gets worse, right? So
0: yeah. I had to learn. I had to learn that. And we had so many rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm still keeping think, an eye on the early stuff. Don't worry. But yes, no, this is interesting. I mean, that's a huge lesson to learn empathy. How did it happen for you? Do you recall it?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's kind of crept up on me, really. And like, oh, okay, I, I kind of understand this stuff. But really, um, it's what's what's fascinating. And here again, you know, there's assessment tools, right? I've done I've done two ASD tests or so, um, you know, the spectrum tests. And I come out at sort of 92% on the spectrum in both those tests. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty weird. But then I think, yeah, I was a pretty weird child. <laughs> um, I, and when I think back to my childhood, I think, yeah, that was pretty strange. And I, I didn't make social connections while well, I lived with a lot of social anxiety. I lived in a home where, uh, for a long time, particularly when I was a child, my stepfather was. Um, quite aggressive, very loud, drank a lot, smoked heavily, lived
0: right, kind of right. like
1: a, a single man for the first 12 years of his marriage, marriage to my mother. Um, and so I lived in fear. And so the early days of beginning to try and understand how people operated was simply to protect myself, um, looking for cues and behaviour, right? And But that also meant that I became very withdrawn, um, very anxious child, and very, very introverted and uh, and observing. But then again, that gave me the tools that I use now to to sit back and observe human behavior and go, why is that happening? Why is this person operating that way? So initially it was simply looking at action response and making sure I put myself in a space where I didn't come to harm. Um, But over time, that grew to thinking about, okay, what's behind that action? Um, action is just surface level, but there's a motivation going on. So you come back to these things of what are the motivators behind these actions and, and how can we speak to those? How can we understand those better? Um, and so I have, you know, a deal of, of empathy and compassion for my stepfather who passed on many years ago. Um, but right up until his death, I still resented him, you know. Um, it wasn't until relatively recently i say 10, 12 years ago, that I I kind of sat down and thought about how can I be grateful for this man in my life? Um, What I perceived as trauma, that's a perception. Uh, What were the benefits to me of of his interaction with me over over the course of my life? And I see he taught me these skills of of observing and questioning. Um, When I became a teenager, we used to have these stand-up arguments because he had very different views from me. But that meant I learned how to research and think for myself and, and justify my position. And it never convinced him ever once. We never what, what's an example?
0: Way. What's an example? I need to know what was the most heated debate in this house.
1: <laughs> ah, like my, my wife is an Indigenous Australian, right? She's Aboriginal heritage. Um, and my stepdad had very, very absolute firm views about interracial marriage, what he called interracial marriage um absolutely against it and, and you
0: would just intellectually argue why it didn't make sense oh, or
1: and and spiritually because we were at, at that stage we were in a church that supported him and was using you know because you, you can make the bible say anything you want and and uh some people were using old testament scriptures to support his position and demanding that i i you know, obey him because he's the head of the house, et cetera. So, you know, the, the kind of general patriarchal kind of constructs and children should be seen, not heard. And I, I pushed back against all of that and um, <laughs> I ran away from home, wrote him a horrible note that I think he burned. Um, oh, my gosh. We, you know, right, we never saw eye to eye on that situation. But eventually when I married uh Jen was my girlfriend. Then, when we got married sometime later, he never apologized, but he said, Okay, marriage is sacred. Um, I, I can't change that. You can't get divorced. So, we can't change it. I'll just accept it. Um, so, he never changed his belief, but he did learn to accept me and he accepted my wife. And then, when we had kids, right, he suddenly fell in love with our grandkids. And that was one of the issues that he had initially. It was like, you know, uh, I don't want to have any half caste grandchildren. Right? It was just right, and yet when when they started to come along, he fell in love with them. So it didn't change his views, but he 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 loved them deeply. Right? It's, it's this weird, and this is this weird paradox about humans. Right? We we can hold these things that we say we believe, and yet. And that is yeah, such right.
0: cognitive dissonance. I've never thought about the cognitive dissonance of a seemingly racist grandfather <laughs> is really what it comes down to. Yeah, oh, yeah. We you have found the title of this episode. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, this is fascinating. That's fascinating. I mean, were you ever sitting there going, he loves them. So he therefore doesn't have these beliefs, but also he has these beliefs. So he kind of, Hates them too. And also what it kind of makes me think of Bruce. And I know this is a much deeper conversation and much deeper than, you know, what two white men can speak to. But I'm going to say it kind of shows the fragility of racism. How like it's so just it's such a construction of the mind that when the heart wins, the heart wins people. When you love, that is a stronger thing than, well, I'm not supposed to like these things because they're different and not when it's right in front of you. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you ever went down that rabbit hole of exploring that cognitive dissonance, but I've just never uh, been confronted. The idea of your father holding your daughter is such a symbolic picture to me of the twisted nature of that paradox you described. Yeah, I know.
1: It's weirdly complex. And um, yeah. And my stepdad, you know, he deeply loved the grandkids when they came along. And, and uh, <laughs> one of my brothers married a, a beautiful uh, Pakistani girl who was born in Dubai. And again, you know, the, those grandkids became part of the family. So I, I just find it humorous, right. That The, the yeah. curiosity and a sense of humor, are the two things that, that help us survive anything anything, anything, if we can be curious, if we can have a sense of humor about it, you just you just got to laugh, right? Because what we resist persists. Mm. And so if, if we're afraid of something, and ultimately, when you look at my stepdad, his, he had a fear. He, it was something he didn't understand or comprehend as different. And so we, we fear difference. And how I understand his position now is, is he was simply afraid. But when... These human beings came into his life. He wasn't afraid of them, so it gave him an opportunity to to love something he think he, he thought he couldn't love. But he still yeah. held this this cognitive belief. You know, he still backed these really right wing politicians, and and uh, throughout his whole life, is it's, it's yeah, it's weird stuff. So you just got to laugh and go, you know what? But but we're all human, and all of us do this stuff. You know, we we all say we believe something, but we act differently.
0: Um, yeah, but this feels like a college <laughs> academic late night dorm discussion, which I love. <laughs> but it is interesting that groups of people, when you're thinking about people on the group level, you're more prone towards a really generalized thinking means inaccurate feeling in a lot of ways or inaccurate to the way you would feel when confronted. The best example I can think of in the U.S. is looking at all the Trump supporters or looking at all the liberals and the Democrats from the other angle as the group and then meeting them. One on one. Daryl Davis, uh, he's a great example from uh, he, he, the black man who went around to members of the KKK and one on one would sit with them and they'd take off their robes. Like that is the perfect encapsulation of this, which makes me go. And I'm sure, first of all, this makes me think easy teams, you are dealing with this kind of mass perception of what the accounting department's like versus the sales department. I feel like you do absolutely. But second of all, is there a way? that we really can affect a certain mind space. Is it possible for humans to really come in and have profound person-to-person empathy and break through the mass grouping efforts of the mind? That's what the mind is doing. The mind is creating groups. I, I feel it's not even disinformation that we have to wade through these days, Bruce. We have to wade through mindset tropes that are poisonous if we get through that and we can just have the experience of holding our grandchild that may be a different race on a mass level my gosh what kind of world we live in that's my that's my stump speech um yeah <laughs> i don't know i mean what do you think about that how do we get rid of that cognitive dissonance and just go right for the resonance i suppose i want to step right to resonance i don't want to i don't want the dissonance. yeah
1: yeah well, that, well, that's well. Why did humans develop a limbic brain, right? To, to, the, you know, we 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 all started out with that that um, you know the dinosaur brain, the, the reptile brain, the lizard brain, which is purely reaction um, and the, the fight or flight um, kind of responses. But but over time, mammals developed the limbic brain, which is about um, connection. And, and empathy and emotion and, you know, it's, it's the difference between looking into the eyes of a shark, which has no limbic brain, compared to looking into the eyes of a puppy, which has a limbic brain. You, you sense, um, you almost sense love, right, from one and just this cold-hearted killer in the other.
0: Mm. Um,
1: can we move, really what we're talking about is is falling in love with people. It doesn't matter whether it's the corporate space uh whether that's our families, whether that's our, our political system, but 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 can we just love people? Right, that's that's the deepest human need. Can we tap into that need and go? You know what? I'm, you're different from me, but when I get to know you, I, I I think I could love you. I think I could accept you for who you are, because in doing that, it means I have to accept myself for who I am. Um, yes. It, it, Right, because what, what annoys us about people are the things that we don't admit about ourselves. Um, Jung was, the, you know, he, he raised that issue. He said, we don't see other people. We see our shadows falling over them. So that is our shadow side. Um, so we're all, and this is the thing about personality tests, right? It, it highlights all these wonderful things about us. But the real value is, well, what's the flip side of that? Every yin has its yang. All, all energy has both positive and negative poles, so if if this is my strength, what what is the corresponding weakness that comes with it that balances it? Hmm. Right. Um, so let's explore those weaknesses and those tropes that we don't want to admit about ourselves. Um, is there something about a Democrat or Republican that that pisses us off? Well, before we you know cast the first stone, where do we have that same trait? All humans have the. We all have the same human traits. We just demonstrate them differently and in different ways. I think that's the way to connect is is to find if if someone irritates me, um, then where do I do that same behavior in a different form so that I can now recognize, okay, I have that same trait or trope or or weakness that I perceive. Um, How can I judge them for it? They're, They're just as human as me by the same token people we admire and we look up to we put them above ourselves right the people that we look down on, we put beneath ourselves and we think i'm better than them yet if we explore that space and we go you know what where where am i bigoted where am i thinking that that, that people are, are less than or not as good as me and i you know and i when I find that I, I, I can't be judgmental of someone else that might judge somebody about the colour of their skin if I'm judging people about the level of their intellect, you know, mm. or, or their, 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 their bank account or how much they've travelled or how many books they've read um, or whether they can read. Am I judging people in that space? Well, then I'm just still judging people. So how can I judge someone else who judges people? Because I do the same, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but equally, if I look at someone that, that I perceive is better than me, or what is it that's inspiring me about that person? Because um, I guarantee, you know, if, if you spot it, you've got it. Um, whatever you see in someone is—you can only see that—and and neurologically, psychologically, you can only see something in somebody that you recognize. Right? It, you can't recognize something you don't already know. Oh, interesting. Right? How can you recognise something? You You're walking through a crowd of strangers, they're all strangers, but you see someone you know, you recognise them. So when you see a trait in somebody that triggers something in you, whether it's positive or negative, it means that you know that trait, which means you've done it. So if I'm looking up at somebody, say I'm looking at Martin Luther King and I'm thinking, wow, what a fabulous orator, then, okay, where do I have the capacity to speak and persuade people or communicate a message that will help people understand themselves better. And and when you see that, you go, you know, he's not better than me. He's just good at something that I'm also good at, but we do it in different ways.
0: Um, Wow. Wow. That's a very positive perspective.
1: Well, this is, and again, like mirror neurons, right? I said, neurologically, we're designed this way. Mirror neurons, when we learn a motor skill, we watch someone, mirror neurons fire with the motor neurons, connect, and we, we watch, and then we do the action. Say it's riding a bike, right? We've watched them ride a bike. The mirror neurons start to fire with the motor neurons, and we go, oh, yeah, okay, that's what it looks like. And then we get on a bike, and we start to do it, the same neurons fire together. Um, then when we learn and, and we now know how to ride a bike, any time we see someone ride a bike, the mirror neurons fire. And our brain doesn't know whether we're riding the bike or they are. It just feels like bike riding. This is why we get excited watching our football team win, right, or our basketball team win. Why? Because we understand, you know, the movements that they're doing and then when they score, uh, we understand the joy of achievement. And so the mirror neurons in us fire and we feel the same emotion and elation that they feel. Yeah. This is empathy. So mirror neurons are how we develop the capacity for empathy. But it also means that if we think about that cognitively, Like, kind of marrying Jung's ideas and and neurology, whatever we see is a representation of us.
0: This is next level, man. I love it. I love it.
1: Everything's connected, right? So, whatever I see is telling me something about myself. It's it's, it's telling me something about myself. If I react to it positively or negatively, the reaction tells me it means something to me. If it's making me angry, then there's a value set that's being triggered. If it makes me joyful, there's a value set that's being triggered so I can understand my values by what, what affects me emotionally. And if I understand what affects me emotionally and that's triggering my value set and I look at my value set and then I go, okay, these are my values um, and they're being triggered here, how is that happening? I begin to question that interaction in myself and now I can begin to understand this other person better. It creates, it creates an environment where we can connect where now I can begin to ask them questions and, and the curiosity comes in and we can begin to explore and go, okay, there's some common ground here. We actually both feel very strongly about this thing. You feel you feel the polar opposite to me about it, but we both feel very strongly about it. Well, at least we can agree on that. That's something.
0: I suppose the idea of having a capacity to recognize something as great, meaning that you might have the capacity to do it yourself is something I've never considered before. I mean, I've certainly thought about it. Like if I see as someone that studied acting, I look at people on stage that perform and I go, these guys are amazing and I want to be like that, but that's just something I'm interested in. What is the difference between looking at someone who is in the similar line of work versus a fan, would you say? Like, could a massive fan of Michael Jackson, do they see in themselves the potential to rock out a full crowd? What is the actual subtlety in what you're describing?
1: I think you need to go to the specific trait that you admire, right? So if, if they're just admiring his fame, that's, that's ephemeral. It's, it's, you know, um, you can be famous for almost anything. Uh, you can be famous for killing people. Look at Hitler, um, you know, John Wilkes Booth. They're, they're famous, but uh, I don't think I want that particular right, action right. set, right? Um, but it's, it's, okay, if we're looking at Michael Jackson, what was it? Was it his singing? What is his dancing ability? Was it, what is it, was it his capacity to to just draw a crowd into where he was? Um, how did he do that? Uh, so it's
0: almost the specificity with which you yeah, admire absolutely is the level of potential that you believe the person has to be able to, at least in their unique way, live up to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Whether we admire or, or despise somebody, there's there's a, a behavior that's triggering a response. So let's explore that behavior and go, well, what specifically are they doing in that moment that I think is is good or bad? Um, and And once I identify that, uh, you know, where do I replicate that behavior in, in another form in my own life? And how can I now then recognising that behavior is there? How can I begin to leverage it, and maximize it so it has greater impact? So, for example, if, um, you know, we, we often admire people that are really, um, really well organized, right? They're very organized, focus on, on minute detail deep level preparation, think of everything that could possibly go wrong um, and and be super prepared with every single thing they need for this event that they want to to create and the situation that they want to succeed in. And, and, And then they make sure that they put themselves in exactly the right environment with all the right tools at exactly the right time for when the person they want to interact with is going to be there, right? We admire all those traits.
0: Yeah. yeah yes.
1: Okay. I just described a rapist.
0: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thanks for the mind F man. <laughs> oh jeez. So, no, you're right. Yeah. That's a good point. Right. Oh my I, gosh. Wow, yeah, yeah, wow. Okay. So we're deeply
1: offended by that behavior, but if we break it down into its component parts, and we go, "What are the traits?" Well, where do I do those traits? Um, in other forms, and it's not necessarily they want to replicate the way that that person operates because I, I don't want to cause that kind of harm and trauma to another person or be that selfish. But I can recognise those traits and go, okay, those, those are things that I've done or could do. Um, by the same token, we can look at... Um, you know, it, it's someone like Steve Jobs and, and how he's created Apple. And, again, we've got this, this this minute focus on detail and perfection that he brought to that space and created something really positive. But they're just human traits at two ends of the spectrum. Um, so any, any human behaviour, can you know, we, we just need to dig into it and go, okay, what is that person doing and where do I do that in another form? Um, and in the case of somebody that's doing harm to another human, then... Where have I perhaps done that to other other people? I've I've worked um, I've I've worked in the past in, in other in, in the personal space with some coaching with people uh, of people who've been through deep trauma um, like incest or rape. Um, I've worked with a family where the son actually uh, murdered his girlfriend and was in jail, and worked with both him and his sister to come through that, right? And that's not a space that people want to work in, but to be able to do that, I first had to not have any judgment for those people. So I need to look at, well, where am I that kind of person? Hmm. Where where do I have the potential capacity to cause that kind of harm to another human being? Where have I headed somebody so much I wanted them dead? That, that's that been there in my life, right? I had that as a, as a nine-year-old kid hearing my, my stepdad you know, and and my mom interacting and her in in tears, I lay in my bed as a nine-year-old wishing I could grow up faster so I could kill him. Hmm. Now, I have to acknowledge that about myself, that I had the capacity to do that kind of harm to another human being with deep levels of hatred to say, yeah, I'm capable of that. I'm I'm as human as that to be able to then find the, the compassion to love that person as well on the other side and go, you know what, he was still a gift to my life because he taught me in, invaluable skills that I use in every aspect of my day-to-day living. And even though we never saw eye to eye and we, we still conflicted, but that conflict created a space where, where I could learn and grow and that's, that's valuable so I can love him and appreciate him. Even though he never grew out of that fear they lived with, that was his hell, right? That was his hell. And yeah. he never knew how to move beyond that. Um, and he lived a small life because of it Uh, but again that is is his choice to do that so I can still feel compassion for and I can feel deep love for him we we are these massive contradictions and paradoxes and unless we can recognize that about ourselves how can we possibly reach out and help another human being
0: Um, Uh, yeah I mean I really wonder if someone came to you and you didn't have that feeling do you ever go yeah I'm not that person because I've never felt that I could kill another human
1: um, yeah, we, we, we need to be at peace with who we are to, and, and to be able to help other people, right? Um, and that doesn't mean I can help everybody and anybody because there's some people I don't want to work with. I, I choose not to work with people that are just out to make money at everybody's expense. So I I could work through that emotional reaction to that, but I don't want to put the effort into that. There are plenty of people around who don't, have that value set and it's, it's easier for me, you know, selfish of me, I know, but it's easier for me to just find those people and work with them because they're a lot more fun to work with.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, yes.
1: Right. So we, we still make all these selfish decisions. We still move towards pleasure and away from pain and that's okay. Cause that's still human, but let's, yeah. let's find that space where we bring, you know, what do we live behind us when we, when we go, I, I want to leave behind, um, stories that are worth retelling and and a contribution that made a difference. So I want to find that space where I can do that. You, you're, you're finding that with a podcast, right? You're asking questions and, and opening people's minds up to ideas that they have probably never considered before, and that's mm-hmm. it's making a contribution that's making a difference that's meaningful and important. You may never work with the kind of people I work with. I'll probably never speak to some of the people that you speak to, but that's <laughs> uh-huh. okay, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, you, you talk to dancers. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of in the fringe circuit. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, look, are you, are they more connected when you work with an exotic dancer? And just so everybody's listening can understand, I don't think they were all strippers. I think adult dancing oh, no. is, could have been belly dancers for all we know. And, I, and there's no judgment. I have no judgment for anybody <laughs> in that industry. I actually yeah. would welcome and am fascinated by people that are, as a performing artist, I know how rough it is out there. And that is a very, it can be rough psychologically for those people because they are in their bodies. Exotic dancers, they are in their bodies. They are less heady than lawyers for sure. But where does the corporate, what are the corporate problems of the exotic dancer? You would say, when you encounter like a group like that. Do you remember?
1: They're they're no, no different to any other corporate to any other business. it's a business like any other. It's about uh, lead generation and sales.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so, okay so that's that's their goal on every night is to, is to generate interest, make a connection and then turn that conversation into a sale and th- there's a spectrum of services that can be provided you know and, and that may be dancing that may be something
0: more intimate. Were you actually working with them on that level? you were talking about the conversation that they were having with prospects.
1: I, well, I was working with one, one particular dancer uh, for a while. I've got to say it's not a regular kind of climate, right? This, this is some time ago. But yeah, yeah so that, that was her challenge, right? How, how to make a living um, and do it really well.
0: I'm just fascinated. How would she find you? You're, the, you're this corporate guy, and all of a sudden she's like, you know, oh, looking look for it. you for corporate. I mean, I feel like it's kind of a smart move. I would think if you were an exotic dancer, you'd want a really good sales trainer.
1: At that time, I wasn't working so much with businesses. That I was doing a lot more personal coaching, and then in those days, and yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if you know a guy called John DiMartini. Um,
0: yeah, he keeps being brought up. I mean, because we have a mutual connection, Shannon Eastman. Yeah, book, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So everybody brings up this guy. This guy's like the legendary man.
1: This is where I met that particular young lady and uh, we were both involved with John's programs. I, I actually facilitated for him in Australia for all his programs for about a period of about four years. And yeah, he's, he's a fascinating guy. And, and, and a lot of the principles that I'm talking about are, are principles that he teaches. Um, he's synthesized a lot of really, really fascinating ideas. Uh, but, you know, when you dig behind it, it's, it's you know, it's pan it's Zen Buddhism, it's, you know, the, these ideas are not new, they've been around for millennia. Um, you know, you'd read Rumi and, and hear these same principles, you know, there's a field beyond right and wrong, and I'll meet you there, right? That, that's what we're talking about.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Shakespeare said... You know, um, a thing is only nothing is good or bad except thinking makes it so. We make these value judgments about everything. You know, okay. Trump bad, Biden good, or vice versa. We, these are based on internal value judgments, and and every one of us are unique. If there's eight billion people on the planet, there's eight billion perceptions of reality and eight billion value sets. If I'm living in in a shanty town in South Africa, then just making enough to buy, you know buy basic food for my family is, is a huge value set not so much for me living on you know where i am in australia and next to a beach you know in a beautiful apartment and i have a car and and employment you know so my values are different but they drive me in the same way that someone in that space might or they drive me in the same way that someone in in you know in a corporate position or um you know who's just an entrepreneur trying to create something new for the planet we're uh we're all driven by things that interest us. Is it um deGrasse Tyson, you know, the
0: Yeah, astrophysicist. The,
1: the astrophysicist he, he said we follow what feeds our worldview. So this this idea of confirmation bias always gets a bad rap, but but confirmation bias, why is it there? I'm I'm focused on things that interest me. So if those things get my attention, there's something it can teach me about myself, which means it can teach me about why I'm here. I'm, I'm looping back to that idea that, yeah. Um, so if my value set draw, draws my attention in particular ways to certain people or events or ideas, then why don't I follow that and see where it takes me? You know, th- those are the open loops to explore and go, wow, there's a, there's a mystery beyond my history. And let, let me see what this thing is. That, uh, where is this leading me? Where is this taking me?
0: First of all, I love that you admitted to me that you put on personality tests to get them through the door on your website. (laughs) Yeah, you want a personality test? Let's get on the phone and talk. You don't want this, and let me tell you why. (laughs) That's hilarious to me. But also, you are speaking about values quite a bit, and I know the last thing you have, which actually, I was going on your website and I was looking at the assessment tools, and your values assessment test actually is easy like that is your thing you've spoken about inner values and following your values this is something I wrestled with a lot uh in 2019 end of 2019 when I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a podcast or something to do which is figuring out my values and and finding those how important is that to you does it have to be that explicit? to take an assessment to identify those or uh, is there an easier way to identify them so then you can live them?
1: Yeah. Well, again, what, what, I guess what we're talking about is that everything is telling us what our values are, everything we look at, right? The things that inspire us, the things that, that cause a negative reaction, they're telling us that's something that's important to me. That is a value for me. So we don't necessarily need to do a, a values assessment. Um, I, I often tell people look time energy and money are the three key indicators of where your values lie. Gandhi said that our, our, our actions demonstrate our priorities So yeah. what we take action on, what we spend money on what we put our energy into, what we use our time for those things indicate what we what we really value I think a lot of, a lot of people talk about values they're really talking about social virtues. Right? we talk about, harmony collaboration honesty authenticity these, these are social virtues but there's times when you can't be honest with people you can't tell them the exact truth because it's actually going to be quite painful either for you or them so these social virtues are there so we operate as a collab, uh, as a collective but my personal values could be very different you know i you can go to every room in my house and there are books that's a value for me i, I see behind you you have books yeah, right? that's a value like of so reading everywhere. learning right um and if I looked at your bank account, there'd, there'd be, you know, purchases from Amazon or, or similar constantly. And you go, okay, this guy likes reading. He likes learning. He likes developing his mind. There's, there's a value set there. You can, you can visit one of my daughters and her closet will be filled with um, fashion and shoes. That's a value. That's a value. That's a driver. It's a motivator for her to do well at her job so she can earn the income to buy these things and make her feel good. Who am I to, to question that value? I'm I'm very minimalist when it comes to clothes. For her, that's a real value. Have you ever met someone...
0: Uh, 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 Well, I'm just curious. Have you ever met someone that walks through the world that... Isn't aware of their inner values, but is still a functional <laughs> <Every> hu- day <laughs> but 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 is functional is functional human is doing okay, but they have no idea what they want. They just kind of follow it. They've probably never done an assessment on this. They've never done a personality test, yet they're yeah. still pursuing their values. Who is? How does that person do it?
1: Well, then understanding them in, intrinsically or, or intuitively. And, and so they know this thing is important to me, so I'm going to pursue it. It's, it's not all of us have to understand and, and um, articulate them, but you can you see people, pet owners, you know, if you said you have a value on, on dogs, okay, what are you talking about? Right. You know, you know so there are value sets that, that drive us to certain behaviours, whether we're conscious of them or not, because that, that, they are unconscious. Where it's helpful is if we want to shift um, our achievement in a particular uh, domain of our life, if we want to shift our level of success and achievement in relationships or in spirituality or in finance or career, then getting greater clarity around what my values set are helps me understand my motivators. And I think it's David Allen who's a, a really interesting guy in terms of time management, says people have only got two problems. They either don't know what they want or they don't know how to get what they want. And so values help us understand what we want. Some people are unclear about that, so they're just running around doing all sorts of things and not really getting anywhere. Hmm. So, yeah, so for some people, the clarity around the values gives them clarity around what they actually want, which gives them direction. They can make better decisions, move in the direction of, of their dreams. Other people they already understand what they want, so now their question is the other one: "Oh, well, how do I get what they want?" So They just focus on that. Yeah, and and then again, on the other side of things, particularly in a, if I'm working in a group situation, or you know whether that's a family or a business, if we want to adjust the behaviour in that group that we're part of, again, some people are unaware of the the values that are required. In which case we need to unsettle them enough that they begin to recognise them, you know. People are either unaware of their problem or insufficiently disturbed by it. So my job often when I'm working with people is to... One make them aware of their issue, and two to disturb them enough they'll do something about it.
0: I was, I was going to end this interview by asking, has Bruce <laughs> Williams found empathy? But I don't. Now that you said that, I mean, I think he knows how to pretend it very well. <laughs> no, I do think I th- I do think you're a heartful person. I do. I'm, I'm messing around, but but I mean, yeah. Where are you on the spectrum of Do you think you've slid on the spectrum these days? Do you feel like Uh, I see, I do see love. I do see love radiating from you, despite what you may think. I'm curious if that (laughs) is the journey down the pathy is like where you're at. Is that really where it comes down to? Where it comes down to? Like, where do you feel like uh, you've landed?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I I have a deep sense of love and empathy for people. It's just that what I realized is I, I didn't really understand how to express it. And yes, do you know what I mean? So, so often and people that are in their head a lot are trying to suppress that humanness, because it interferes with our logic and our decision making. And, you know, these are the goals I need to achieve. And I need to push, 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 not realizing that they're undermining their health, their well being, their psychological well being, etc. Those are the lessons I've learned through burning out multiple times in my career. Yeah, right. So so, yeah, I, I have deep levels of empathy, you know, and, but I, over my lifetime, there were certain habits that I developed which perhaps kept that behind a shield to keep myself safe. So, and this is where I love the work of Brene Brown, you know, is, is, is bringing down those shields and, and going, you know, okay, but I, I can be open and vulnerable in this space. And it doesn't mean to just be, you know, completely open and vulnerable to everybody because there's people who take advantage of that, but yeah. We, we all have that capacity for, for love and empathy and we all have that need for love and empathy and that's, um, that's the direction that that if we move in that whether that's business, family, spirituality, um, if, if we move in that direction you know and find that inner balance and peace with ourselves, we can have greater empathy and, and peace with other people who are perhaps a bit different from us.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you started this by talking about Einstein and, and then <laughs> saying it was a woman who actually created the, the, the quote and what that stuff. And you talked about purpose and contribution. What it, you know, as you're moving into whichever field you go next, Bruce, what is the contribution you're hoping to make?
1: <sighs>
0: stories worth retelling. Uh,
1: I, I think we are our stories we've just been swapping stories here yeah and um, um, Roger C. shank who was one of the early um, explorers of artificial intelligence he he was trying to figure out how to make computers think like humans and what he discovered was that humans are not designed to process logic we're designed to process stories and so he 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 started to understand that that artificial intelligence needed to be able to understand how to explain stories and, and make emotional connections what's really fascinating is shank once he began to understand that shifted completely across into the educational space hmm. and he's now a huge pro- proponent a uh, supporter of storytelling as as an educational tool and i think the contribution i'd like to make is is to leave behind some stories where am i going in the next 10 years like um uh, we talk about who inspires you. I, I'm inspired by books. And I thought, well, what if I could become an author? What would that
0: look yeah, like? Yeah. That's what I was going to so, say. When, when are the so dates that, on this book? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been pushed back a little bit by COVID because I've had to focus on some other things, but yeah, yeah, sometime next year, uh, maybe mid next year, I'll have the, the first book will come out, but my goal is to write as many books as I can before I'm 70. So that then that becomes, that becomes who I am at that point. Right. Um, Tell my kids I've, I'm aiming for a hundred, and uh, in terms of years of age, yeah. Uh, and and who knows what medicine and science will be doing at that stage? So I'll keep my, you know, I'll keep an option for an extra twenty five, maybe if that's possible. Oh. Who knows what's possible for us as humans, right? Right. How, how many? So I want to find stories that help people understand themselves, believe in themselves, uh, accept themselves for who they are, and, and go, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. There's there's a beautiful prayer that I forget who said it, but it's along the lines of may God grant you the grace to believe the truth about yourself, no matter how beautiful it is. I think that's the message people need to hear. You, you know, you're beautiful just as you are. You don't need to be like anybody else because you're not like them. But who you are is is absolutely perfect. Um, and, and if you can embrace that and Be that you'll bring something you will bring something positive into the world that no one else could bring because how could they? They don't, they're not you.
0: Wow. Wow! Thank you. I uh, look. I'm signing up for your church services again. Go back. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. No, Bruce Williams. Uh, who knows? I mean, next week this website might not exist. He could have uh, already moved on. Um, EasyTeams.com.au. I know you're not promoting anything, but if you hey, if this man's message resonated with you at all, that's where you can find him. Yeah, Bruce. I really appreciated you coming on. I I, I thought this was a heartwarming message. Or or just a, well, I don't know, you weren't a Hallmark card. This was a heart uh, enlivening conversation that, that was loopy. And that's all I really want on this show. So thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. I really learned a lot and was enlightened.
1: Greg, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, you, you just asked some really fascinating questions. I think that's that's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I love what you do. I think w- what you're creating here is is just so fabulous. Well done.
0: Awesome. Thank you. As I'm sure you can tell, my favorite part of that interview was being told that the entire personality test thing was just a ruse i love that stuff it's it's as if it's a hitchcock movie and you have the MacGuffin. for those of you that don't know the term MacGuffin, it's the it's the object that people are focused on uh the, the ark of the covenant the holy grail in in what is it psycho there's the money in the newspaper it's it's the it's the thing that starts the journey that you think the story's about but really it's about everything that happens around it term that came from alfred hitchcock specifically with psycho because the MacGuffin complete misdirect love that love that bruce uses it and sounds like he's using it effectively certainly spun me in different directions that i was expecting love it i've since i've did this interview i've gone even deeper into john demartini's work on values and bruce is an amazing advocate on behalf of it he really he really knows what he's talking about getting to those core values is so so important and The key is, it doesn't matter if you're paying attention to it or not. You're always living it. Bruce, thank you for living a heart-filled life, for being on my show. And for those of you listening, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's been a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon.